And a warm welcome to Tuesday's Richie Allen Show. Welcome to you. It is uh, the 8th of March, 2022. It's me, the BBG, live from Salford, with you till 7 o'clock as usual. I've got two very interesting people for you to meet. You won't be surprised by that. Do get involved throughout the programme by commenting via richieallen.co.uk. Uncensored, unfiltered. You're listening to Richie Allen on the world's most popular independent news radio show. It's the Richie Allen Show. Broadcasting live on richieallen.co.uk and multiple platforms around the world. And now, here's your host... Richie Allen. A little bit later on in the programme, we welcome Stacey Rudin back to the show. Terrific lady. She's an author, former litigator, great public speaker. She's on Twitter at Stacey underscore Rudin. She joins me later on. Before that, Mark Collett is on the programme. It's been about a year since Mark was on. I like him. He's a British nationalist and the author of The Fall of Western Man. Mark Collett and Stacey Rudin joined the Richie Allen Show today, Tuesday, as I said already, at the 8th of March, 2022. Yes, 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 yes. Now, where do we start today? It's being announced as we speak, you and me. The UK and the United States have announced a ban on Russian oil. This was expected. It was reported this morning that US President Joe Biden would make a statement confirming that. Uh, the So that's been announced, basically. The UK will phase out Russian oil imports by the end of this year, according to the business secretary here, Kwasi Kwarteng. The US president confirmed it uh, around about an hour or so ago, a complete US ban on Russian oil, gas and coal imports. That's the very, very latest. Now, the Ukrainian president, Volodymyr Zelensky, will address British politicians Video link, obviously. He'll address MPs in the Commons via video. This is extraordinary, we're being told, from five o'clock. So roundabout now, that should be happening. It is being said that it is the first time a foreign leader has or will address MPs in the House of Commons chamber. MPs will be able to follow it using special headphones because the man doesn't speak very good English. Pot kettle baldy, I know. I know. Anywho, so that's the latest there. What else is, is new today? Is there much new? Well, there are reports of Russians shelling evacuation corridors. Now, they've been reporting this for three or four days. They haven't offered any evidence that this is actually happening, that the Russians are saying, okay, outside of this town or this city, we have arranged a route for people who want to leave and take their families, uh, but then they shell them anyway. No proof. I'm not saying it isn't happening. That would be remiss of me. I don't know. But those who are telling us such things, well, they have a bit of a habit of telling porkies, haven't they? Uh, the Irish government has agreed to take 100,000 refugees. That's a city roughly the size of Limerick. Limerick's about 95,000, 94,000. Uh, that's a good idea, is it? I wouldn't have thought so. I'm not saying it's wrong to extend the hand of friendship to people fleeing war. 
and violence. I'm not saying that at all, but Ireland has got some pretty serious problems of its own. Uh, meantime, the UK media continues to lambast the British government for turning a blind eye to the desperate to the desperate people fleeing Ukraine. So that's basically dominated UK talk radio and talk television today. That row that only 50 people or 100 people have been able to secure visas, that's Ukrainians, by the way, to get to the UK. There's so much more. There's quite a bit of news on my website, richieallen.co.uk. You might want to check it out. It's been busy today. Here's a really interesting exchange. I thought of you when I heard this and some of the things you and I have been talking about for many years. Now, when I did a postgraduate degree, which I didn't really need to do, in 2004, 2005, uh, here in Salford, uh, I say I didn't need to do it because I'd already worked in radio for some years. But I did it anyway because I was interested in television. I did the postgraduate thing. And we talked quite a bit with one particular lecturer, a very, very intelligent Irish woman. We talked about embedding embedding, which, which which came out of the Vietnam War. You see, governments and intelligence agencies and spooks in the Pentagon were horrified by genuine on-the-ground reporting by honest journalists during the Vietnam War, which was a slaughter of Vietnamese, that they decided, did the government and the intelligence agencies and all those people, we can't have this. We can't have journalists running around telling the truth. So the concept of embedding was born. And embedding is basically when journalists catch a ride with the military of their own country. So we saw it in Iraq. We really saw it in Iraq. Journalists travelling on tanks with their countrymen, soldiers. And, of course, being embedded with them, relying on them, coming to like them, and to need them and their protection, they became less likely to tell the truth about what they were doing there. This is really interesting when you apply this to what's happening in Ukraine, because there seems to be an embedding of sorts going on. And Richard Madeley, a presenter for ITV television, Good Morning Britain, he's noticed this, well, he's kind of noticed it. And speaking to a Sun journalist who's based in Ukraine this morning, Richard Madeley had this to say. Richard was oh so close. Have a listen. It's something of a fingerprint, it seems to me, of the way that British journalists, and these are the ones who we see mostly, um, are, are reporting on this, this war. They're getting personally invested. I, I've lost count of the number of times in recent days that I've seen someone, for example, last night, Romley Weeks, uh, the ITV news reporter, putting her arms around somebody that she was interviewing as they, as they, as they shredded into tears telling, telling their particular story. Mm -hmm. I've seen that happening a lot. Television journalists, in particular, reach physically reaching out and holding people, doing things like you're doing. Have you noticed that too, that there is, a, there is a really strong personal investment in this by British journalists out there in the field? Well, I think it's always reassuring uh, when a journalist is, is able to make that connection on a human level. I mean, certainly I've been shocked how moved I've been. I've covered a lot of conflicts. I've covered a lot of unpleasant situations. But certainly there was something here when I was at Zaporizhia train station a few days ago and I saw this tide of humanity surge towards the train and I saw women and children saying goodbye to fathers and brothers. Um, 
it was absolutely heartbreaking. The men stood on the platform talking on their mobile phones, talking just a few yards away to, to their wives and their children who, who were crammed onto the train with all of these people waiting to say goodbye and not knowing when or if they would see each other again. It was absolutely, it was absolutely heartbreaking. Jerome Starkey, the defence editor for The Sun, speaking to Richard Maidley. It's very difficult to quantify just how stupid Richard Maidley is because he was really, really onto something there. Distinguishing between reporting, which is your job, to be a reporter, to report on what you see, but not to become emotionally involved in it to the point where you become part of the story. Medley was really close there, but he's not very bright. Medley would have you believe he's bright. It's something of a fingerprint, it seems to me, of the way that British journalists, and these are the ones who we see mostly, um, are, are reporting on this, this war. They're getting personally invested. I, I've lost count of Personally invested. You see this on Sky BBC Channel 4, the conduct of those on the ground with their helmets and their flak jackets, embracing Ukrainians, you know, joining in, sing songs in, in some instances with Ukrainian soldiers and, and Ukrainian citizens. For the number of times in recent days that I've seen someone, for example, last night, Romley Weeks, uh, the ITV news reporter, putting her arms around somebody that she was interviewing as they, as they, as they shredded into tears telling, telling their particular story. Yes, it isn't journalism. It's propaganda. But it's beyond propaganda. It's going the extra mile to, to kind of evoke an emotional response from the watching audience. It's telling you what to think and how to feel about that which you are watching. I wonder how many people watching these news reports, I wonder for how many does it occur to them what is happening, the manipulation on, on the scale that it is happening. Richard Madeley with Starkey, Jerome Starkey from The Sun. Interesting that, isn't it? Madeley was nearly there. Nearly but never. Speaking of journalists, do you remember John Sweeney, who used to work for the BBC? I think Sweeney, did he leave the BBC in disgrace when he attempted to stitch up Tommy Robinson? Stephen Yaxley, Lennon, Murphy, McGrath, whatever his name is. Remember? Anyway, Sweeney was famous at one time for being a panorama reporter and he got into all sorts of bother, didn't he, with the, with the what are they called? The Scientologist, that's right. Anyway, Sweeney is in Ukraine and he is doing a daily video blog or vlog. Here's the latest from John Sweeney. Kiev diary, day 13 of Vladimir Putin's war. Update. Lots of people around the world are asking me, what on earth can we do? It's just Bullshit. That's bullshit straight away. The minute a guy like John Sweeney starts with lots of people around the world are asking me. That is garbage. Nobody around the world is asking John Sweeney for advice. I am certain of that. Just as ordinary people, we feel so helpless. What we can do... Yeah, he's getting tweeted by people who say, we feel so helpless, John. What, what can we do to help? What can we do to put some pressure on Russia? Right? So he's getting lots and lots of people around the world asking him, what can we do to put some pressure on the Ruskies, John? Well, we can try, you can try, and, and put some economic pressure on, on companies that work in Russia. So is there, is, there any, is there any kind of household brand, maybe, that's in your street that could possibly still be doing business in Russia? For example... Go on. 
McDonald's. McDonald's, Mickey D's. They are doing business. They are. In Russia, while this cruel war is taking place. So, everybody in the world, you can do a simple thing to send a message to Vladimir Putin. And that is, boycott McDonald's and see its share price tank. And see its share price tank. And on his passport, presumably, it says journalist, John Sweeney. So see the share price of McDonald's tank and... Until Vladimir Putin stops this cruel war or they stop trading and making money in Russia. Do you really think that Russians are going to rush to Moscow to drag Vladimir Putin out by his boot heels and send him into exile, do you, John? Because they can't get a Big Mac and large fries. Do you really believe that? Really? He seemingly does, you know. Let's all boycott McDonald's. Let's all boycott them. You should be boycotting McDonald's for... for well, you shouldn't be eating McDonald's, really. And you should know that. And let's do that now. Do it now. Simple message to Vladimir Putin. Do fuck off. What? What was that at the end? You've got to be kidding me. John Sweeney, journalist, BBC. Eh? Eh? What did he say at the end there? That's comical. Simple message to Vladimir Putin. Do fuck off. Do fuck off, eh? John Sweeney. What kind of fuckery are you? Oh, yeah, God, that was loud. I bet you Vladimir Putin is positively shitting himself right now. John Sweeney is after him. And McDonald's. It's the Richie Allen Show. It's live from Salford here in the northwest of the UK. Thanks for being with me. As I said, richieallen.co.uk. Some interesting things on there. Shall we get to one or two of those things? I will get to your messages as well at some stage. Please don't worry. I will do. Yeah, so um, I suppose as good a place to start, as far as the website is concerned, is food shortages. Uh, I've written about this and we talked about this on last night's programme, didn't we? We talked about it, I'm pretty sure we did. And that is because Russia and Ukraine provide about 30% of the world's grain there or thereabouts. Uh, and there's a big, there's, there's trouble brewing between the two countries. Well, there's a war in Ukraine and, and all of that. What is that going to mean for food production and more importantly, later on for food prices. Well, we, we we know pre or prior to the invasion of Ukraine, we know that food prices have been rising exponentially anyway. And that has, that has largely been blamed on COVID-19, hasn't it? Hasn't it? Okay. A couple of things to tell you. We talked about prepping on the show last night. And by the way, that reminds me, tomorrow, Wednesday, I will open the phone lines around about 25 minutes into the programme to talk exclusively about prepping. That will be the subject and no other. When I talk about prepping, the, the, the logistics of it, how you go about it, how long you've been doing it, why you've been doing it, what you think might happen, let's security, of course, that tomorrow, Wednesday, around about half five, I'll open the Skype and the phones and we can talk about that. Now, David Beasley is the head of the World Food Programme. And he's been telling the BBC that what's happening in Ukraine could and probably will send global food prices soaring. And that is going to have a catastrophic impact on the poorest people in the world. Okay, David Beasley. Um, he said it was putting more people at risk of starvation 
and he says just when you think hell on earth can't get any worse it does uh, Russia and Ukraine known as the breadbasket of Europe and between them they export about a quarter of the world's wheat and half of its sunflower products like seeds and oil so this is a problem could also be a very big problem for the continent of Africa now okay refugee crises so on so on so on I came across an interesting exchange this morning on BBC Radio 5 Live. BBC stalwart Nicky Campbell was doing his own phone-in talking about food and the production of food and why the UK only produces somewhere between 52 and 55% of its own food. That's what they said anyway. So he brought on a guy called Johnny Hall from the National Farmers Union in Scotland, Johnny Hall, and they spoke about this. And it's really interesting because I wrote about this the other day. I wrote about the common agricultural policy. I wrote about farmers being paid not to farm land and, the, and what, what that has resulted in. And I talked about how the UK could and should very easily be able to grow everything it needs. But because of the fake climate change hoax and, and, and environmental hoaxes, they've gone after farming. And I've written about this on the website if you want to read about it. It won't be new new to, to, to many of you who listen to this programme, but for some of you it might be. But that came up again today between this guy John Hall. Make sure I'm getting the guy's name right. Is it John? Yeah, Johnny Hall, the National Farmers Union in Scotland, speaking to Nicky Campbell. And it, it comes up this idea that, well, if we do begin to grow lots of crops here, well, that will be bad for climate change. Have a listen to the exchange, Nicky Campbell and Farmers Union in Scotland guy, Johnny Hall. The Ukraine is a food producing powerhouse. I think you referred a few minutes ago to it being the, the breadbasket of Europe. And in many sense, it is. It is. Um, it's hugely significant in exporting wheat, uh, maize, uh, sunflower oils, another one, to the Europe, to North Africa and to Asia. And uh, with the Ukraine and now the Black Sea effectively landlocked, uh, that is just going to put further uh, price pressure on, on, on grain markets around the world. And as your last speaker was saying, um, when you have food price inflation, um, it, it hits the poorest households hardest and first. Um, so uh, we do feel that we are facing something of a, a, a food security uh, crisis right now. Um, and that's, of course, is compounded even further by the availability and the affordability of a lot of our inputs in food production. Such we're going as to have fertilizer. to. We're going to have to. I mean, here's the text. Are we right? Thanks for all these. Are we right to leave our food self-sufficiently at just sixty percent? And should we be looking at increasing food production instead of taking land out for environmental projects that may or may not deliver any measurable reduction in global warming? That's from Angela in Banbury. A lot of people will be saying, "Well, listen, let's let's, let's think very carefully." about this that is that is important too isn't it but if we were to do that there would be far-reaching and perhaps devastating environmental consequences there's no easy solution here is there far-reaching and devastating environmental consequences if we started growing food for ourselves but i thought that crops and plants breathe it in carbon dioxide i'm pretty sure i learned from mr galvin and from Ms. Halley in science classes and biology when I was at St. Paul's Community College in Waterford, that we breathe in oxygen and breathe out carbon dioxide. 
the plants breathe it in, and you, 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 we, or the planet degasses itself by sequestering CO2 in the rocks, in the oceans, and in the plants. It can't be a bad thing to grow crops, to sow seed, to replant and grow again next year, and use those crops to make your own food and put lots of people to work. But according to the media, it's a bad thing. Could have devastating environmental consequences, you know, if we start growing food for ourselves, you know. Mad stuff, that. A couple of quick things before we get to Mark on the programme. The, what she called the Foreign Secretary, Liz Truss, got me listening today. She was talking, uh, she was giving evidence to a committee of MPs and she was asked about the impact on taxpayers, on the public in the UK, the impact of sanctioning Russia. Because when you sanction Russia and you don't buy gas or oil from Russia, and we mentioned the issues with food, prices are going to go up and the cost of living is going to get pretty serious. Well, Liz Truss said... Of course, there will be an economic cost for British people from these sanctions in terms of their energy bills and their cost of living. But that cost is nothing compared to the cost of the people of Ukraine. And it's also not compared to the cost of allowing Putin to succeed. Because what we know is if Putin does not lose in Ukraine, this will not be the limit of his ambitions. And I was listening to that today and it reminded me of COVID-19 and the COVID rhetoric. Three weeks to flatten the curve. By locking down now, we'll avoid much greater harm later. It's nothing compared to the cost of the people of Ukraine, said Liz Truss. You could substitute the people of Ukraine with the elderly and those with comorbidities. We really should lock down because of the immunocompromised, they said. We've got to do that. It'll be painful to lock the country down, but it'll be much more painful if we don't do it. I don't know, I just saw the comparisons between the... Ukraine crisis, which I believe is fake. I don't believe that. I, I, don't, I do not mean that I don't think, think Russian troops are inside Ukraine firing. Yes, they are. People are dying. There's no two ways about that. But it's been engineered. I don't believe Putin is doing it of his own volition. I believe he's a puppet. He's being told what to do as much as Boris Johnson, Joe Biden, Ursula von der Leyen. Name them, right? Okay. I just thought that was interesting. And I'll leave you for now with uh, Sarah Gilbert, Professor Sarah Gilbert. They made a dame out of her. She was given the credit, or most of it anyway, for developing or producing the Oxford AstraZeneca jab. She's been speaking, and the media has picked it up. Sky News has picked it up. She says, the next time there's a pandemic, the world should be able to produce a new jab in 100 days sayings that it took around 300 days from the time they identified COVID to the approval of the first jabs by regulators around the world. She says what we need to be doing is reducing that time scale down to 100 days. It's madness, of course, but uh, you know that. Those articles with a little bit of editorialising attached are available at richieallen.com. Co.uk. Going to take a glass of water. Mark Collett joins me in a moment. A little bit later on, Stacey Rudin will be on Tuesday's Richie Allen Show. Here's Take That and Hold Up the Light. The time, 24 past five. Dance if you like. 
Right, thanks for all the comments. Uh, lots of traffic on the website. Little bit of a slower site. It's a bit slow today. Patricia's pointed that out. We get hammered with uh, traffic in the hour leading up to the programme, during the programme and just after it. Uh, most, uh, not most, but a lot of listeners listening through the website and not through things like the TuneIn app and Fab Radio. Okay, so that's the reason for it. Apologies. You're always working on websites. Really thrilled to welcome back, genuinely. He's not been on the programme for a long time. Uh, I think of him as a good mate. We've never met, but I really like listening to him. He's a British nationalist and the author of a very interesting book, The Fall of Western Man. He's also, and he doesn't, to be fair to him, he doesn't moan about this uh, too often, but one of the more, one of the more censored people in the last decade in this country. But uh, he's usually uh, in good spirits. Welcome back to the program, Mark Collard. How are you doing, Mark? Hello, Richie. It's good to be back, and uh, thank you for having me on. I'd like to say that I am more censored than ever now. I've now had five bank accounts closed. Uh, no reasons given, obviously, but they are trying to make my life uh, more and more difficult. As every day goes by, I had two closed within a week of one another uh, about, well, a few days back. So, Yes, they're really bringing the pressure to bear on myself and other people. It's not just me, other people. Uh, Laura Towler, she had um, her accounts closed on the same day as mine as well. So It's dreadful. A very quick 20 seconds on that. I tried to do something about that. I reported PayPal to the financial ombudsman. And four months later, they got back to me last week and said that they had spoken to PayPal And there was nothing they could do. They were satisfied that PayPal had a right to shut down the account for the Richie Allen show. And I got back to them and I said, what do you mean by that? Explain it. And they said, well, PayPal told us the reason they closed your account, but they were protecting confidences. So we can't tell you why. Of course, I asked the financial ombudsman, well, who are you working for, me or PayPal? (laughs) or anybody else, and they discontinued the communication. It's dreadful, Mark. And let's stay with this, because are we seeing, like you you talked about how the independent media has, uh, you know, been attacked through, through going after people's financing. We're seeing it on the biggest scale we've ever seen it now with a nation state for the first time, aren't we? We're looking at people trying to de-platform or to basically shadow ban an entire country, Russia. Today it's McDonald's, Coca-Cola being petitioned, MasterCard, Visa, Netflix, don't have anything to do with Russia. Um, I just noticed that, you know, kind of comparison. I thought, wow, they're trying to shadow ban Russia. What do you think? Oh, I agree completely. I mean, you've got to say here, the very same people who tell you that there must be no generalizations made about any racial, ethnic or religious group are now telling you that every single Russian on the planet is evil, a barbarian and is some way culpable for the invasion of Ukraine and must therefore suffer. The hypocrisy is insane. You've got people who are just Um, sports stars who are just athletes who probably don't even live in Russia anymore are being told, well, you can't compete in this. Should so-and-so be allowed to compete in this? Should somebody who was born in Russia be allowed to play tennis anymore? This is is madness. And if you spoke to these same people and said, was it right for America to intern Japanese citizens during World War II? They would say, of course it wasn't. That was racist. 
but this is of course completely fine and for the entire world's banking system to essentially kick russia out that tells you everything you need to know really about this conflict are we being conditioned to accept certain realities so here we see this huge you know trying to make russia in, invisible making it a pariah but isn't that supposed to trickle down to the little guys isn't that supposed to tell me that I shouldn't associate myself with, say, for example, Mark Collett, because Mark might have had or might hold certain views that we find unpalatable and we find unforgivable in a civilised society. Or I shouldn't speak to, I don't know, Tommy Robinson. I shouldn't speak to Laura Loomer. It doesn't matter who it is. Aren't we being trained to this reality that you can be basically destroyed just by association. I like you. I don't agree with everything you say, but I like you anyway. And, and, and that's the way I am. You know, I, I, I like to be challenged by intellectuals who see things differently than I am. But in the near future, they might come after people like us, me and you, just by interviewing somebody who has opinions that have been deemed unsound or unsafe. Well, that's exactly what's going to happen. And what you're going to see here very soon is it's not just going to be people like myself who talk about ethnicity and race. Soon it'll be anyone that pushes back against any of the mainstream narratives. If you think that men uh, wearing what essentially amounts to drag shouldn't be allowed to go into the little girl's room, deplatformed, you're going to lose your bank account. If you say, you know what, I think NATO should bear a lot of the blame for what's going on in Ukraine. That's it. Bank account gone. You're not allowed to talk on social media. This is going to be everything, everything and anything. If you speak out against any of the mainstream narratives, and this will definitely uh, be something that uh, is done with the conflict in the Ukraine, because at the moment, what you're seeing from the Western media has got to be in line with COVID in terms of its misleading propaganda. Uh, maybe even worse than the misleading propaganda on COVID. Yeah. And you know, it's funny you mentioned that because just before you came on, I, I did notice that the Foreign Secretary, Liz Truss, speaking today, said some things about why we should sanction Russia, even if it causes us some pain, because the gains in the long run will will be worth it. And I find the rhetoric, you know, about punishing Putin which will hurt us as well. I find a lot of that rhetoric very similar to the COVID rhetoric back in March 2020. Do you get that as well? Well, you've missed one really important thing there, Rich, if you don't mind me saying. Jump right in. When Liz Truss says... I know, I know. I know. ...we, what she means is you. Is you, Now, yeah. it's not going to bother her one bit if petrol jumps up 20p or 50p no. because we're the ones who pay for the petrol to go into her tank. We're going to cover her increase in petrol prices, but we're going to cover our own as well. That's right, yeah. And they when give, yeah. we look at energy prices going up, the energy prices in her second home that's paid for by the taxpayer down in London are going to be covered by the taxpayer. Richie Allen and Mark Collett are paying for Richie Allen and Mark Collett's energy prices. No one's helping us. She will have all of her bills covered for 
buy us and we will cover our own bills. So when these people say we're all in it together, no, we're not. They're in a completely separate boat to us. They know it and we should know it and we should be shouting it from the rooftops because basically, just like with the sanctions on Iran, which push petrol prices up, it doesn't hurt the politicians in Westminster. It hurts the people in Iran. It hurts the people in Russia. But it also hurts the people in Britain, the people in Ireland, the people in mainland Europe, everyone who has to buy petrol. What do you say to those who, and I, I number myself now among those, by the way. So I should say, what do you say to me? I believe it's a manufactured crisis. It's real. There's no doubt about what's happening in Ukraine is real. You're absolutely right to talk about NATO expansion, um, the, the Minsk agreement, all of that. That's all real too. The overthrow of Yanukovych in 2014, all of that is real. But I still believe that Putin takes his orders. And ultimately, I believe, and I don't say it easily, I have a good look at it, this is another crisis right on the heels of the fake COVID crisis to bankrupt people, to bankrupt economies, to bring in a central digitalised currency and that fabled Great Reset that you and I have spoken about before. It just smacks of another move on the chessboard to me, Mark. How do you see it? Well, I see it slightly differently. What I think they're trying to achieve here is regime change in Russia. And I think the people trying to achieve that are NATO, the British, the Americans... And I think what they wanted to do is they wanted to provoke Putin into invading the Ukraine. They then wanted to, with their puppet government in the Ukraine, you've got to understand Zelensky is a Western puppet. And what he is doing in the Ukraine amounts to war crimes. He is arming children. Well, child soldiers, that's a war crime. He is telling people with no military expertise whatsoever don't flee the country, take up arms and take on trained soldiers. That's pretty much a war crime. He's parading captured Russian troops on TV and giving them little cards to read from. That is against the Geneva, Geneva Convention. Convention yeah. That's a war crime. What he is doing is basically criminal acts in order to demonize the Russian state. And when I say demonize, these people being given cards, that's to demonize the Russian state. But the arming of children, women, men with no combat experience, that is so the civilian death count balloons. So again, the Russian state can be demonized. And I think the game plan of this is to drag Putin into a war which will make him look, well, so they can paint him as Hitler 2.0, assuming you think Hitler's the worst man that ever lived, but that's their narrative. So they will paint him as Hitler 2.0 and say he's the worst man that ever lived yeah. also. And this is to push regime change in Russia. And I believe they've been working on this for a long time. And I believe that this is because China and Russia and several other countries are getting sick of the Western liberal degenerate new world order and they are trying to bring china and russia to heel that's my take anyway and you might very well be right it's very interesting mark collett is our guest this hour on uh, the richie allen show tuesday's program march uh, 8th but isn't every shot fired in combat between nation states a war crime whatever we might think about russia's gen genuine grievances with the west and i would be with you all day long when tanks move into a country and they shell civilian areas or populated areas, that's a crime, Mark. 
those people are real people. I mean, you said they're they're untrained, and maybe Zelensky shouldn't be encouraging them to take up arms. I'm not sure I entirely agree with that. He is a puppet, of course, Zelensky. But but shelling areas and killing civilians—that's disgraceful, isn't it? Why didn't well, Putin? Let me just. Sorry, I'm I'm going to get out of your way. Why didn't Putin? Why didn't he just? Why didn't he just uh, secure Donetsk and Luhansk and say, "All right, we'll we'll secure those areas." Um, his, his soldiers are killing people. Well, what you've got to look at here is the way this war has been fought. And this is very important. And this tells you as well how the Western media don't truly understand what Putin wants in, um, in the Ukraine. He's invaded. And yes, there will be civilian, civilian casualties. But the Western media keeps saying... Putin is stalling. His war machine has stalled. He isn't getting where he needs to be. Putin hasn't managed to break through. He's not managed to break the will of the Ukrainian people. Now, all this I find very interesting because I'm looking at this and what I'm seeing is great restraint. Now, sadly, there will still be civilian losses. But let's look at the way America and Britain invaded Iraq. They surrounded Baghdad. They spent huge, huge amounts of money bombing Baghdad into the ground. They destroyed all the infrastructure, the gas, the electric, the water, the mobile phone towers. No one was um, producing TikTok videos inside Baghdad as they are inside Kiev. Once that had been done, once the place had basically been flattened, they then rolled in and took it. And then charged the Iraqi people to rebuild it. Because for the Americans and the British, war is about complete devastation followed by the business of rebuilding at someone else's expense. Now, Putin has not followed that doctrine. He's not followed that route of warfare. And because of that, so far, civilian casualties have been much lower than they than any um, conflict involving America. So what is he doing then? It makes absolutely no sense. What is he doing? Listen, go back to what you said a few minutes ago as to why you disagree with my great reset analogy. And you made some very good points and, you know, it's very thought provoking. But it just occurred to me that even if you are right, you know, that, that this is genuine, a genuine pushback against the West by Russia. The fact is, even if you're right, this still, everything that's happening, this absolutely suits the Klaus Schwab um, Bill Gates, um, the other guy whose name I can't remember now, uh, Soros. This absolutely suits where they want to take people into the technocratic dystopian nightmare. This suits yourself, that agenda. What's he trying to achieve? Yeah. I think he wants a buffer zone between the West and Russia. When the Soviet Union fell, NATO gave Russia numerous verbal reassurances that they would not roll into Eastern Europe, that That's the right. Cold War was over. All of those reassurances have been broken. And I think Putin is trying to simply take the Ukraine intact as much as possible. And he doesn't want to flatten the country. If he wanted to turn the Ukraine into a parking lot, he could have done so with the push of a button. They had air superiority within the first couple of hours, complete unchallenged air superiority in the first couple of hours of the invasion. From that point onwards, they could have done what any Western invasion would have done, which would have been surrounding every major city and shelling them 
into the point where they were a parking lot. Look at what happened to Baghdad. And I've got to give you this figure, Richie, because it's very important. In the invasion of Iraq in 2003, in the region of 200,000 civilians were killed through direct acts of violence alone. That is from bombs, mortars, tank shells, bullets. That doesn't even count the hundreds of thousands more that died in the aftermath because there was no water, gas, electricity, because uh, people starved, food, food. transport networks were down, etc. That's just from direct acts of violence alone. We're not seeing that from Putin. Now, this is not me saying he's the good guy. It's not saying that I've got a Putin shrine in my bedroom. It's not that I agree with him on everything. But his mode of warfare is far less destructive or genocidal than anything seen from America or Britain. Yet here you've got America and Britain painting him to be this butcher, this barbarian. This is all rank hypocrisy. It's nonsense. It's, it's propaganda. propaganda. It is. I agree with every bit of that. But I also know that Putin participated in the World Economic Forum Young Leaders Programme. I know yeah. that he's very, very, very friendly with us, or he has been with a succession of uh, Israeli um, prime ministers and foreign ministers to the point where he's had monthly meetings, even with Netanyahu for a long time. He's a globalist when he suits them and then he isn't. I don't like Putin. Um, you know, I, again, I, I wouldn't dare patronise you. You make a compelling argument and there will be many listening to this who agree with you. But Putin did nothing to stand up against the fascism of COVID. Nothing to stand in the way of it or to call it out. You know, what was done in the name of COVID, this, you know, taking humanity towards dystopia, turning it into a technocratic, technocratic nightmare society, uh, you know, pushing for centralisation. Putin never stood in the way of that. That's no, why I don't like him. I completely agree. And I've just said, I don't think he's perfect. One thing people have to understand is that when somebody pays somebody a compliment, that compliment or that agreement you have with somebody doesn't mean you agree on everything. No, but you I'm know, not saying that. Hang on, I'm not doing that. That straw man nonsense. I'm not doing that. I know damn well what you're saying. This is the Richie Allen show. I know damn well that your argument is nuanced. I know you're not saying Putin is a good guy. You're, you're in the right place. You don't have to say that here. You're looking at it from lots of angles. I absolutely appreciate that. You probably like what he did in Syria. I like the fact that he yeah, stopped. Yeah, I like what he did in Syria Absolutely, absolutely. NATO were happy to, yeah. to level Belgrade. Yeah. He prevented that. He prevented the loss of life. Absolutely. And you've got to also remember here, you know, NATO were happy for Kosovo to become an independent state, break away from Serbia. Yeah. And they were all for that. When Putin says, oh, Crimea wishes to break away, it's 67.9% ethnic Russian. Yeah. Nearly everyone in there speaks Russian and not Ukrainian. It was Russian up until 1954. They're like, this is this is a land grab. It's an annexation. This is um this is illegal. Well, it wasn't illegal when uh, it was happening in Kosovo. And what I'm saying is, there's a lot of hypocrisies. To me, the West are the problem. What you've got here is the problem. That doesn't mean Putin's the answer. And I understand that he does have lots of connections that I don't like. But I'm not privy to all no, the information. Me neither. Me neither. Can I ask you this, Mark? See, Go ahead. He's right in this case, and I can only come down on a case-by-case -case basis. Could he be a double agent? Let me flesh that out a bit. Yeah, he uh, could. Again, again because, because I believe we are being pushed 
into this science fiction type, this into a type of living that we would have thought unimaginable. And I, I see all the stages of this. And there are men and women who came before us who wrote books about this and prophesied it and they were called, you know, conspiracy theorists and, and lunatics. We, we see what, what the invasion of Ukraine has led to. It's going to lead to another unbelievable refugee crisis. You know, you have my country, Ireland, saying we'll take in 100,000 Ukrainians. That's, that's the size of Limerick, Mark. Ireland can't afford that. They can't put people in social housing in Ireland. There are 900,000 people on hospital waiting lists there. It's going to be devastating. And I'm agnostic leaning towards being a believer. I know you're a Christian man. The Christian thing to do is when people are fleeing war zones, extend the hand of friendship. Regardless of who's right or wrong in, in wars, civilians always suffer. So I'm not saying we shouldn't do that. But the food shortage is going to hit Africa really hard. So you'll have a refugee crisis, a migrant flow into Europe again from Africa. All of these things, eventually the, you know, maybe currencies collapsing, maybe the economy collapsing permanently. And then you have the, you know, universal basic income or the central digitalised currencies. And that's the point I'm making. This Ukraine crisis seems to advance those agendas, makes them more possible than if it didn't happen. And that's why I ask, like, who the hell is this guy Putin? I mean, I'm not, I don't want to be flippant with you because I do like you a lot. I love coming on your show. I wish you invited me on more often. But is there anything that these people don't turn to their advantage? And that's the scary thing about it. You know, the wind blows in an odd direction and they manage to manoeuvre it in some way that it pushes forward their agenda. I mean, I do believe that COVID was a real disease, but I don't believe it was as deadly as they said. I think they took it and ran with it. And one thing I've got to, you've got to say, Richie, when it comes to COVID, you've got to love Putin. He killed COVID within 10 minutes (laughs) of invading the Ukraine. I mean, all these these clowns had, you know, Facebook pictures with their face mask on, a little circle of words around the edge that usually consisted of the phrase, something, something, stay safe. Within 10 minutes of the first shot being fired, all that was gone. And it was a a blue and yellow flag or they had blue and yellow flowers in their hands or wearing a blue and yellow t-shirt. They forgot about COVID. Now it's gone. That's brilliant. Uh, Brilliantly observed. You're absolutely right, Jet. No, no, No more COVID. No more daily case updates. No more briefings from Downing Street. I mean, they'd stopped. Anyway, you're absolutely... But the worst thing is, I mean, we're laughing about that, but you know what we shouldn't be laughing about? It's conveniently buried the fact that now the government has admitted there was never going to be 6,000 deaths a day. The first lockdown was based on complete lies. And these are Daily Mail headlines from government briefing papers that are just being buried under pictures of beautiful Ukrainian women in full faces of makeup with airsoft guns saying that they're going to go out and take on BTRs and Russian Armada Don't look now, don't look now, but you're making my case for me. You know, in terms of the Ukraine crisis being manufactured, you know, not only to advance the agenda, but also to cover up what they did last time with COVID. Look, I'm not saying I'm right. I'm wide open to what you're saying, that this, you know, Putin might very well be genuine. He might be protecting Russia's interests here and the West might be spinning the fallout of this to their own advantage and and furthering the agendas. Again, you made a bloody good argument there. Mark Collett is is our guest. This food price increase, Mark, this is deadly serious, this, isn't it? Oh, it is. Uh, But whatever it's, whichever happens, Richie, whether Putin's in on it 
or whether he's not in on it, they are going to use this to advance their agenda. That is a given. And in advancing the agenda, gas prices, electric prices, petrol prices, diesel prices, food prices, we are being reduced to a modern day peasantry where we will own nothing and we will be happy about the bowl of vegetable-based the gruel. gruel they yeah. give us to live off. It's shocking, isn't it, to be talking about this because you, you would have speculated about this type of thing over the years at meetings and, and in forums. I'd have been interviewing people like Jim Mars, God rest his soul, like David Icke and others, and you're thinking... God, they're making a compelling case for this, but no, this is not going to happen. And we're living this now. And you, yeah. you have children, or you have a child, don't you? You have a son yeah, or I've a daughter. Yeah, I've got a little girl. She's and two and a half, yeah. And, and does that scare the Jesus out of you? It, what scares me the most is the assault on their minds in their schools, in their nurseries, from the television, that they are being propagandised from such a young age. And we get told constantly that the horrors of the 20th century and the propaganda heaped on children by the Soviets or the Nazis or the, all of that pales into comparison compared to the propaganda heaped on children today. And you only have to go on Twitter or Facebook. I'm banned, but I still get my little windows into those places to see the propaganda that we're being fed today. And it's so unashamed. The people feeding this to us have no shame and they are laying it on thicker than it's ever been laid on before. It's funny you mentioned your, your daughter. Um, you know, despite everything, it must be great to have a two and a half year old daughter. It, the fun must never stop. There's I can ups imagine. and downs. There's <laughs> ups and downs. I can tell the you fun that. Must, but you know, we we don't have children. I think we'd still like to, both of us. But we, we often speculate that if we did, they certainly. I I don't think they'd be homeschooled. There's no way I'd put them into a school. Not what I'm reading now. I've got to say this. Uh, we've got about five minutes left with Mark. By the way, um, you, you like to come on often. Don't be a stranger. Then I don't have a producer or an editor. You've got to drop me a line every now and then and say, hey, Richie, I'm still here. Yeah, cause I, I, I will, I will. Do, because I, I love having you on, because it's nice you to have... You had me on to talk about COVID, and that was great, but COVID went on and on, so I'm I know it went on forever, talking about it? something fresh. For something different, yeah. And um, But uh, I, I like the fact you see things differently, and you make very good arguments. That's what makes um, good debate. Listen, uh, Mark... Emir has just left a message on the website. Emir Krupich. Now, there's a Ukrainian flag um, there, so we, 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 we'll just take it that Emir is Ukrainian. He says, Mark is clueless. He says, the Second Chechen War was a brutal war crime, and this was started by Tsar Putin, and he murdered a quarter of a million civilians. Now, he's doing the same in Ukraine. Also, uh, the Russian Air Force does not have air superiority. The Ukrainian Air Force still flies CAPs. Putin is no angel. He murdered a quarter of a million people in uh, Chechnya, says Emir. So there, that's balance right there on the Richie Allen show. Now, over well, all I can say is, if anyone thinks that Putin doesn't have air superiority, I beg you to look into the matter. The Russian military is probably second only to the American military. Their military might is such that they have... You know the power to completely level that country. And I'm not saying that's a good thing, but it's just a fact. Um, I think the Chechen war 
was a horrible thing. But the fact of the matter is the Chechen rebels were Islamic Islamic extremists. He uh, basically dealt with those Islamic extremists and the people running Chechnya now, they are still Muslims. They've not wiped out all the Muslims there. They're traditionalists, they're family people, but they're not extremists. And ultimately, I've recently been speaking to a number of uh, Muslims. I, I did a debate with a Muslim recently, and I found that in terms of traditional values and in terms of family values, I had a lot in common with this guy. Um, I told him I didn't want him living in the West, but I had a lot in common with him when it came to his traditional values. And I think what's happening in Chechnya now under um, Kadyrov he is somebody who has traditional values, but he's certainly not an extremist. I think that's a good thing. I think, you know, and what Putin did in Syria, again, he was the only man who seemed like he wanted to actually prevent what is. And I, I've I've worked with people from the Syrian government. I've actually had people on uh, a show which I did with from the Syrian government and they seemed very reasonable and Putin was the only one who seemed to want to actually stop ISIS in the region. It was America, Israel and Britain who were arming Al ISIS and Al-Qaeda. So I've got to say, look at the other side of things. Good stuff, Mark. Massive amount of comments coming in on this. Can I just mention, by the way, um, if there are Ukrainians listening to this, I did say this last week, but you want to come on with me because you don't feel that it's balanced because while Mark and myself, we might disagree on certain points. I don't see um, Putin as the baddest of the bad guys. And, and I have to say, you go back to 2014, Victoria Newland, Eurasian Secretary of State, the overthrowing the fake um, Maidan revolution. I've said all this. It might not suit Ukrainians. If you want to come on with me and be treated properly, by the way, and tell me why I'm wrong, all you've well, got to do I've is reach me through the website. About that revolution. Yeah. Okay. There was people in that revolution who took part in that revolution who were unashamed. And I'm not saying they're bad people, but they are unashamed national socialists. There were numerous groups who were unashamed national socialists. There was right sector and there was what is known as Azov Battalion. They are um, unashamed in what they believe. They use national socialist symbolry. They do not hide their political affiliations. Now, the thing that makes me suspicious is if any of those groups were operating in any way in the West, not as a militarized force, but just as an ideological group who said, look, we are national socialists, they would be vilified, shut down, their members would be in prison just for holding their beliefs or reading books on their beliefs. Yet in the Ukraine, NATO, the American establishment, the British establishment are arming those openly national socialist groups. And Facebook has just removed the ban on praising them. You're, you're kidding me. And I remember John Kerry overseeing the funding of these groups to the tune of $20 million a week in 2013. But I'm not saying those groups shouldn't exist. Or me shouldn't neither. No, well, nobody but shouldn't what exist. What I'm saying is it's very odd that those groups would be completely outlawed if they in were in country, Britain yeah. or any other Western nation. But here they are being funded by the West, armed and basically sent out to fight the Russians. Mark, final word on this before we part company today. 
Uh, final word on this: Don't believe anything you that see you hear in the, in the media. No, no, media. a better final word than that. I think we 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 would all agree on that. <laughs> well, that that is the best final word because everything's propaganda. Remember when they told you that a Russian warship killed thirteen brave. Uh, Ukrainian holdouts on Snake Island, only for you to find out a week later that it was actually 82 soldiers on the island. The Russians arrested them, gave them food and water, disarmed them, and then released them promptly to go back to their families and said, go home, don't get back involved. Yeah, I did say the other day that um, we better watch out for babies being thrown from incubator stories, and I laughed, and then the following day, Zelensky was on television talking about children being killed. I was going to ask you, finally, there are a couple of possibilities, maybe, that Putin will do what you suggested that that he does, is create this buffer that you think he wants to do. The other one is that he tries to, to, to take Kiev and, you know, replace the government there with his own people. That might lead to an insurgency that could be ugly and could go on for ever and a day. Uh, 35 seconds left. How do you see it playing out? I think he'll want the whole of the Ukraine to be that buffer zone. That'll be the problem. And I think there will be protracted violence because of that. Where can people find you online, Mark? Great to have you back They can today. find me on Telegram. They can find me on Gab. And they can find me on BitChute and Odyssey. Please, please follow me there. I'm not on any of the mainstream platforms for obvious reasons. Thank you for having me on and let's make sure we do it more often. Can't wait, Mark. Thanks for your time today. That's Mark Collett and it's C-O-L-L-E-T-T if you happen to be hearing him for the first time. It's a Tuesday's Richie Allen Show live from BBG Towers here in Salford, Super Salford. You're listening to the saviour of independent media, Richie Allen. Indeed you are. Messages to richieallen.co.uk Comment live, top of the page. The time is uh, exactly 45 seconds to the top of the hour. Stacey Rudin will join the programme shortly. Looking forward to Stacey. She was on with me uh, a couple of months before Christmas and is great, great value. You might remember she was talking, one of the things she talked about was because of the, the COVID fascism in, in New York, I think, her family, her and her family were considering, in fact, they weren't considering, they were selling up to move elsewhere. Hi to Chris Morell. Thanks, Chris, who says there is a current vid of the Azov Battalion bragging about how they are killing people in the Donbass. Is this who the moronic ex-army blokes are going to join up with out there, says Chris. There were a number of interviews today on BBC and Sky with British men, not all of them with military experience, many of them with none, just, just like me and maybe you, heading out to Ukraine because they just felt like they had to do something. It is crazy. It's beyond crazy. I know that's a very, that's a cliche. It's a, a simple thing, you know. Amir says that he has Yugoslav ancestry. He came back on. Live in Ukraine eight years now. Already lost our home in the DNR. Now might lose our second one we just bought a year ago. I'm sorry to hear that. I really am. I don't know what else to say about that. I, I think, Amir, if you do listen to this programme, you would have heard me say last week that regardless of what anybody thinks of the politics of it, Ukrainian people are being killed. Their houses are being levelled. And they're being forced out of their, their towns and their villages and their cities. That's a fact. That's a given. 
and it's wrong. I don't know anybody who I personally like in the independent media who thinks it's right that Vladimir Putin is doing what it is he's doing. That being said, I think Paul Craig Roberts, who I've known for many years, I think he said he'd have gone in stronger, didn't he? On the programme, and I took him to task on that. Thanks, Amir. Diane says, the Russian military is pretty good, but their equipment is top-notch. I watched the military parade in Moscow last year. Very impressive stuff, says uh, Diane. Okay. Uh, Crazy Tom says, the West is disgusting, but Putin is no better. We as humans are in big trouble. I hope everyone has farmable land and also weapons to protect it. Uh, Digital ID for food rations will be instituted by the end of the year, says Dr. Crazy Tom. Digital ID for food rations. I hope you're wrong, Tom. I hope you're wrong. I really do. It's time for me to take a tune and uh, get ready for my next guest. It's two minutes past six. Thanks for your messages, by the way. Yeah, it's busy today. This is M People, by the way, and moving on up on your Richie Allen show. Heather Small, M People, on The Richie Allen Show, your Richie Allen Show. It's myself with you till 7 o'clock, Monday to Thursday at 5 o'clock UK time. And every Sunday morning, Sunday morning Melodies, which is a completely different programme to this one. And it's exclusive to richieallen.co.uk. And you can only hear it on Sundays because it isn't archived. That's 10 o'clock UK time on Sundays. Yeah. I love the old Sunday morning melodies, playing the old tunes, chatting about them, and uh, reading out your dedications. It's good fun. I like it. Sundays at 10, here on richieallen.co.uk, six minutes past the hour. Got to wait for about nine minutes or thereabouts to chat with Stacey. Um, she, that's Stacey Rudin, by the way, uh, the former litigator, the public speaker. Lots to talk about with her. In the meantime, you are messaging the bejesus out of me. Thanks for that. Thanks. It's good. It's well good. Uh, let's go back to them then. Having one of those croaky days today. In fact, I've been having them for about a week. Joking about energy attacks last week. I was joking and I'm not being energy attacked. I get it sometimes. The old throat, you know. The old throat. Here's an interesting thing I didn't get into in the rundown. But the Chinese Foreign Ministry, its spokesman, Zhao Lijian, uh, has claimed, well, he did claim yesterday, that China has information that the Pentagon is running weapons laboratories in Ukraine. And not only that, but that is the tip of the iceberg. Now, RT.com, unsurprisingly, have reported on this So you say, well, take it with a pinch of salt. No, 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 yes. In a time of war or conflict, you can take with a pinch of salt everything you hear from national media everywhere. You are absolutely right. But the Chinese foreign ministry really did say this. Now, it could be the Russians asking the Chinese for a (laughs) favour. Propaganda works both ways. Could Could be the Chinese saying, it could be the Russians saying to the Chinese, we need a bit of a favour here. Any chance you might make some claim about the Americans. It also could be true that the Americans have sponsored uh, laboratories, bioweapon laboratories in Ukraine. Why not? They've got 800 military bases or more in more than 70 countries or 80 countries around the world. 
It's not impossible. It's just another interesting little nugget of information, isn't it? You know, in light of all the claims made about Wuhan and research into coronaviruses and Tony Fauci and all of that stuff, which some of you buy and others don't buy. You know? Okay. All righty. Okay. I'll tell you what I'm going to do now. I'm going to take another tune. See is Stacy ready. She's expecting someone, you see, to drop in on her momentarily with a package, uh, some uh, some delivery, I think, or, or something like that. So she doesn't want that to get in the way of our conversation. This is the beauty of live radio. And this is the beauty of the Fab Four. And- Ten minutes past at the air, the Beatles and Can't Buy Me Love, the Fab Four. Always worth a visit to Liverpool. It's only 25 minutes down the road from here. Is uh, the great city of Liverpool. My my next guest is no stranger to the programme. Really good to welcome her back. She's a terrific, terrific uh, public speaker, an author, and very interestingly, a former litigator. You can find her on Twitter. Follow her there, please. Always Always posting interesting things. It's at Stacy underscore Rudin. At Stacy underscore Rudin. Let's welcome back to the program. It's a Stacy Rudin, unsurprisingly. Welcome back, Stacy. Thank you, Richie. Glad to be here. Do you know when you spoke with me last time before Christmas, you really struck an emotional chord with the listeners because you talked for a few minutes about uprooting your family to get away from COVID tyranny. And it was kind of poignant for a lot of people and they felt for you. So I'd be silly not to ask you straight off, how has that been going in the, the few months since we since we last spoke? Well, our house is under contract being sold here in New Jersey. We've visited Texas um, recently. We've applied to schools down there for our kids. We are waiting for the admission decision, which is soon, um, early March they come out. And as soon as we find out which school they'll be going to, we'll be down there looking for real estate. So it's a go. We're leaving. Um, and it's all because of COVID. <laughs> it's all because of ridiculous, tyrannical COVID bureaucratic nonsense. And you spoke eloquently last time about the wrench that it, it, it obviously is because you have, you know, you know your, your, your child will obviously have friends. You'll have friends. You'll have toys. You'll have family. And you've got a big old country there in the US. So moving from New Jersey to Texas, I suppose it's like moving from England, probably down to the southernmost tip of Italy, probably. It's a bit of a journey, right? It's a long, it's a long way. We don't know anyone there. We don't have family there. We do know it's a more um, conservative state. People have been less um, tyrannical, as you say, with COVID there. And we just have to, we had to reorganize our lives when the schools closed, which is one of the main driving forces, because I was the president of the PTO, the public school in New Jersey, actually, the day that they closed. And I have never, I never entered the school again. We ended up moving our kids to private school because the public one didn't reopen. Isn't that nice? The people who have enough money can send their kids to private school. The public school kids stay home. But fortunately, we were able to do that for our kids. Uh, I did. I disagreed with the policies. I've always been speaking out about that. I fought to get the schools open, the public schools. I did petitions. I wrote online. I published things. It didn't work. So I put my kids in in private school. Um, but that was the only one we could find was 40 minutes away because everyone else had the same idea as me. Public schools are closed. People have resources here. They filled up the private schools. 
pulled out of the public schools. Isn't that interesting? The government are supposed to educate the kids and now they're not educating as many kids because of these lockdowns they imposed. Yeah. So we ended up in this bad situation where our kids' school is 40 minutes from our house and this just isn't workable long-term. My husband right now rented an office down there and drives them in the morning and works from there and then comes back at five o'clock and I'm barely, you know, seeing my kids and they're young and so it just messed up our life completely. The lockdowns caused the whole thing. Now we're leaving everything, starting over. But hopefully you'll be able to reconnect with that, taking part in all aspects of their early development, all the fun things that you might have been miss- missing out on in the last couple of years. So, you know, please God, if there is a God, it's going to work out for you and your family and, and you'll never look back. I, I know from my listeners, I've got a, my listenership is based primarily... UK, Ireland, but also North America. And then it's kind of scattered to the four corners, but a lot of US-based listeners. And I know from hearing, from, from reading emails, Stacey, that there's a much, much more, there's a much, there's a, there's, a, there's a different attitude in the South to, you know, to tyranny. There's more of a pushback against it, certainly than there is in, in New Jersey or New York or even in, you know, even in Canada. So, I think you'll be, you know, you'll be happy there. And, you know, please God, uh, you will. Isn't it funny? People are telling me for the last eight days or, or, or more that they they told us to lock down. They told people to, to destroy their livelihoods. They wrecked the mental well-being of children. They forced untested jabs on people. And for two years, they terrorised people with case numbers and all of that. And, and Vladimir Putin got rid of COVID in about 20 minutes. Yeah, Listen. I know that's the funniest meme I've seen in a while. Amazing. Is is it like is is it like that in Jersey? Has COVID just disappeared now from the media? Yeah, more or less. I mean, people and I've said this all along. People are I would ask them, what's the end point for you? What's the end point? They never have an answer because what they were really waiting for is an order from the TV that's going to release <laughs> them from doing these things that all of their friends are doing and they're just afraid to stop on their own because they're afraid their friends are going to judge them. They're just not going to do it. But as soon as the TV stops talking about it, they're ready to, to drop it. That's amazing. And yeah. I'm, I'm fascinating. You telling me your media is just as bad as ours. It's gone completely gone. I mean, just before the invasion, we were still having the daily case numbers as opposed to the deaths. They kept telling us, you know, the latest vaccine uh, numbers, all of this, all of it is gone. Nothing, nothing in the papers. And I read them every day. It's really astonishing. But you and I probably suspect it hasn't really gone anywhere. And we've been chatting away on Twitter, you and I, and you've been chatting with your followers. Something happened that has kind of gotten forgotten because, or has been forgotten because of Russia, Ukraine. And that is this power grab by the World Health Organization, whereby it wants to uniform uh, the global response to pandemics or viruses in the future. And you've been following that with great interest. Yeah, this is very scary. And like you're saying, it's kind of dropped off within one day. It's just you don't hear about it. But the scary thing is they can bring it back whenever they want to. All they have to do is issue this order to all the people that they're going to be shameful, bad people if they don't follow these COVID rules. And we know they're going to do it again. They're going to put the masks on. They're going to do whatever the TV says they need to do to be good people. And the WHO, I'm sure, you know, all along has known that. And what they're trying to do now is just be able to act as a international one world pandemic authority. So if they declare there's a pandemic, 
It doesn't matter what country you live in, what corner of the world you live in, what kind of rights your constitution guarantees to you. They're not going to mean anything during a pandemic if WHO gets this treaty because they will be the world dictator. They're going to decide what you do during the period of the pandemic that they are declaring. It's it's literally Orwell's 1984. They'll say, we got a pandemic. Here's what you're doing. As long as we continue to say that, you're going to continue doing it. That's what they're trying to do. That's what they are trying to do. And you might look to your own local, regional or national government and they might say, sorry, Stacey, it's out of our hands. We signed a treaty. We've got to implement this. And that could be anything. That could be lockdown orders. But it could also be the implementation of digital IDs and vaccine passports that are more, maybe more tyrannical than than we, we had previously imagined. You know, in terms of like, you really can't go anywhere. You can't go to the park where people are congregating. That's even the the people's park out in the open air. You can't go to the baseball. You can't go to the cinema uh, because you haven't had a jab. All of this sort of thing. That's what people like us have been talking about for years. And it, it's, it's just not being spoken about now because of the Putin thing. Does that make you suspicious at all? Well, that and the activities that are happening with people's bank accounts and the monetary system, they're forbidding. You saw the Canadian trucker protest, I'm oh, sure. Oh, God, yeah. I mean, how, how, how do you even begin to talk about that? A, a guy who claim, calls himself a Democrat uh, and a liberal in a country like Canada takes it upon himself to suspend the bank accounts of ordinary law-abiding people uh, because they have the temerity to go and join a peaceful protest against tyranny, vaccine mandates. Right. So now you're talking about, well, you can't go to the park, you can't even be in the open. That's bad enough. That's very bad. But what if they take away all your money? You can't even, now you can't even order food or you can't heat your house or you can't, there, your imagination can go, don't, you know, don't even think about it for too long. It's so terrifying. If they can freeze your money, what are you really? You know, you're, they keep saying you're a slave and you really, people need to really spend some time thinking about that. That is what a slave is. You have nothing. You have no rights. They fully control what you can do. They've frozen people's bank accounts for donating $50 to the wrong protest. Imagine that. Has done that recently. And we're all just kind of watching it happen and just hoping it's going to end. And that's delusional because it's gotten worse and worse and worse since March of 2020. I was shocked. I can't believe they're closing the schools for two weeks. That was over my boundary. I thought that was wrong. That's impossible for them to do that to families. And look how much further people have been bankrupted. People have been forced to take vaccines who are perfectly healthy, who already had COVID, or they're going to lose their job. Now you can't even donate to a cause, $50, or you can just not have access to your money. This is mind-blowing stuff. And there's no way it's just going to magically end. I think everyone's kind of hoping that because it's too scary to try to grasp what could we do, Stacey? Uh, folks, follow Stacey on Twitter, at Stacey. It's with an E, by the way. It's a posh Stacey, S-T-A-C-E-Y. In, in, in some parts of the UK, they drop the E. It's at Stacey with an E, underscore Rudin, R-U-D-I-N, former litigator, public speaker, author, and uh, terrific, terrific lady. Great to have Stacey back on the programme. So if, if cash disappears then, now I... Isn't it funny? I go to a laundrette around the corner 
because I've had a busted washing washing machine for three years, Stacey. And I'm first of all, I'm a useless man. I'm a useless Western man. Not only can I not fix it, but I haven't gotten a plumber to fix it. So I go to the laundrette, and she's a lovely lady, and she insists on cash, and I love that bit of cash going on there. No, 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 no taxes being paid on that on, on that transaction. So that's all very good. But outside of paying for my laundry in in cash. I struggle to pay in cash in the northwest of the UK to the point where I'm increasingly finding places that won't take cash. Now, if it becomes impossible to pay with cash, if CDCs or central digital currencies come in, I don't want to be defeatist at all. But it's game over because in that reality, it becomes very easy for them to say, you're a bit of an agitator there, Rudin. Um, You can't spend your money. Very easy. And the only way around it is to build parallel systems. Because in my opinion, this is their plan. And they're moving closer and closer and closer to it, to linking. I mean, that's the vaccine passport. They're they're linking us all to this digital grid, digital ID system. And we know something fishy is going on in the monetary system. Have been for years now. 2008, they almost, you know, sunk the ship and they kind of patched it with chewing gum. And now we're going to pay the piper at some point. They know that. And I, I think that's what it's coming to. They want digital currency. And, of course, they want it centralized because the more centralized our lives are, the easier it is for them and the worse it is for us. So we need decentralized systems that we're going to have to build in our own communities. And that's going to be the only way around this that I can think of. A lot of people who listen to this program, they reckon we're about due for a major financial shock. You know, like 2008, which was a manufactured crisis, of course, but on steroids. That if if they want to pull the trigger on the CDC finance system or system of currency soon or or at any time, it would have to happen kind of virtually overnight. Do, Do you see that and do you see a major collapse preceding the introduction of the digital currency? I just don't know. I think they anticipate a major collapse. They think the apocalypse is here. And to me, it seems like they're scrambling, trying to prevent people from feeling it to the extent that it could be felt just because then they'll blame who should be blamed, which is the banks, the power structure, the people who have made, who are still holding all the money, all the trillionaires, billionaires, all the resources have funneled to them and away from regular people. They don't want us thinking about that. So I see them trying to position well, we're going to give you these, you know, you're going to get this basic income straight to your phone and you can use that for food. So you're never going to go without, you know, you can use this for energy and you're not, your house isn't going to be cold. And so it's not like we printed way too many trillions of dollars and now your bank account is worth nothing and you can't buy food and you can't heat your house. We're going to take care of you. We, the helpful government, you know, so it seems like they're trying to avoid People feeling it, but um, and if that doesn't work, it's going to be apocalyptic pain for everyone and for, for everybody. Yeah. When, when you relocate to uh, to Texas, and um, there's a lot of love coming in for you on my website there uh, this afternoon. People wishing you very, you know, wishing you well, you and your family and your children. That's lovely to see that. I just happened to throw away a line in last night's monologue, Stacy, about prepping. And it went crazy. Listeners were coming at me from all over saying that they've been prepping for some time and that I should be. I'm not really prepping, Stacey. It's not because I'm stupid. It's because I'm probably lazy. When when you get to Texas, 
will you consider things like that or have you already prepped? Have we spoken about this before? My memory is is, is terrible uh, these days. Will you prep? Have you prepped? I haven't prepped, but I do not. I think those people are probably smart. I mean, better safe than sorry is a is a big saying we all learn from our grandparents for yeah. a reason. And there are big problems in the system that if you don't see them, you are stupid. I mean, they, they are very obvious at this point. You can't live on fiat currency the way we've been doing they, all the money they printed during COVID. Something is very wrong. We saw it in 2008. We all lost lots of money on our homes then in the U.S. I'm not sure how it went in the U.K., but it was really bad here. And I um, I just listened to a podcast this morning, Glenn Beck's most recent with, I think, Adam Curry. It was really interesting. And he said he has his diesel generator and then he's got a ga- some device that makes gasoline out of wood hooked up to it. So if he has to feed in wood to, to heat his house, that's what he's going to be doing. And I, you know, he's not the only person I've heard speak about this and very intelligent people you know, are kind of preparing for the worst. So I do not judge. I think it's that, you know, they may have the last laugh. The people who think they're crazy conspiracy theorists are probably, you know, going to wish they had listened. Yeah, we might be, guys like me might be wishing I might be starving in six months time and my prepping neighbours will be like, you idiot, we did tell you. Uh, Stacey Rudin is our is our guest. On, 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 um, on prices, I, I've always envied, as a driver, as somebody who likes driving, I've I've always kind of hated you Yankees over there because you've always had uh, cheaper uh, gas or petrol, as we uh, say, th- th- than we have. But but what is it? Is is it is? Are you noticing a big increase there at the moment? Don't think that's a stupid question. I'm sure it has gone up, but I wonder is it going up there at the same rate it's going up here? It's crazy. We're at record prices now for a liter of petrol. What's it like where you are? It's almost $5 a gallon. Oh, Christ, that's price. like us. That's like us. That's as bad as us. Yeah, and uh, I saw Christy Gnomes, the, the South Dakota governor. She never did lockdowns. She's a conservative. She said um, just yesterday I saw her tweet that South Dakota gas prices are up over a dollar from last year. So that's you know basically 33% up or so which in, in a year. And most of that is just within the last month or two. So it's... It's bad, and every of course everything suffers. Then you know the the supply chain suffers because of that, because it it, it, it you know it obviously affects everything. Transport drivers, all of that, food prices, um, you, you know, in in your own circle and amongst your legions of Twitter followers, is that scaring people? Because it is scaring my listeners. We've seen it here, Stacey, even before the invasion of Ukraine, what COVID had done, or the response to COVID, I should say, had done to, to food prices here, gone up by 25, 30, 35%. I live in an area that's real working class area. You know, you're talking about working families, good people, but never on really good incomes. And they're terrified at the speed with which the weekly grocery shopping bill is is uh, growing and growing. Again, what, what what are you seeing? So I grew up in Minnesota, rural Minnesota, middle of this country in a, um, a town of 5,000 people. My dad owned a small business. And then later when I was a teenager, he bought a farm. So he farmed and had a small business. My mom's a physical therapist, regular people. 
Um, but now I live in right outside New York city in one of the fanciest towns in the whole country. Um, one of the very fanciest ones and people here are going to be fine. Richie, to be honest, they seem to have gotten better bonuses in the last couple of years than ever before. I mean, my, my immediate neighbor or, or, you know, someone near, near, near where, where I can see from my house, you know, buying several cars within a month and redoing their whole yard and renovating everything. And, you know, everybody's got their vacations and their, you know, it's it's not going to be a struggle for them. So here, I think people have made out well, which is one of the things that upsets me a lot. Where my family lives in Minnesota, I think it's much harder for them. What's going to happen when they can't drive to work? Um, they, they're they going to feel it. And the, the big people, unfortunately, the, the wealthy people, I think, are always going to be okay. And then the people who have struggled will struggle more. Will struggle more. So when we read during the middle of the whole scam, I, I call it a scam demic. I, I believe COVID is real and uh, I, I've, I've always believed it's real, but the pandemic was, was, was a nonsense. We didn't really have a pandemic, in my opinion. But around about the middle of that, I do remember reading the Financial Times and the Times of London, both newspapers saying that the evidence was pretty clear that the richest 1% or 2% we're going to do really, really well out of COVID. And it sounds like you've witnessed some of that where you are. Yes, they have had no problem. In fact, they seem to like it. They they work from home now. They've always wanted that. They, you know, can work in their pajamas. They can go work from the beach and they do. They can go work from Spain and they do. And it's never going to be an issue for them. It's the the market is doing well. They've made a lot of money. The real estate prices are booming. Um, everything is good, good, good. But those people in the the average people always end up paying for the excesses of the the bank. And this is to be clear, where I live, it's a lot of Wall Street uh, bankers because they take the train direct from my town into the financial district of New York City. So this the, they're fine. And I, do, I don't, you, you will correct me if I'm wrong being, you know, being an ex-litigator, but post 2008, none of them went to prison, did they? I, I mean, you know. The, I think there was one. One. I don't remember his name, but <laughs> right. yeah, maybe one guy took the fall. For, for everybody else, yeah. But, but I mean, you might be surrounded by people who, you know, did some pretty... I'm going to say it's shitty things during that period and, you know, wiped millions of dollars off of pension funds and, and, and house values. And they, they got away scot-free and they just went on to do it again. They just started another fund. You know, I know people personally who, who were at Lehman, the day, Lehman Brothers, the day that it folded. And, you know, they just started a new fund and now they've got a great booming fund and they live in a mansion and it's, you know, zero consequences that I can see. Yeah, some poor guy runs into a bank with a gun, they'll give him 30 years in jail, eh? That's an old saying as well. That's an old cliche. But if you're, um, you know, if you're a trader and you rob a bank, or if you're a banker and you rob people, you know, you're you're unlikely to, uh, uh, to to face, you know, any serious consequences. Stacey Rudin is our guest. The time. Look at the time. It's bloody flying. It's twenty seven minutes already to the top of the hour. Do you really imagine? Because I I talk about these things with my guests. And afterwards, I, I might have a beer. Tonight, I'm going to have a Guinness, Stacey. I've got some Guinness in the fridge. I'm going to have a Guinness after the show. And I am going to reflect when I'm having my Guinness. Will they really try to introduce, after a collapse of sorts, a universal basic income? Is that a genuine thing? 
are plans in place to say to populations of people, listen, there's no money left now, but we've got a new currency and we're going to give you a certain amount of money every month and it's going to be tied into your your behaviour, how you interact with your fellow man and, and woman, your social credit score. A part of me still, even though I see all the evidence of this, a part of me is thinking... It can't be. I mean, this is not going to, to, to come to pass. How do you see that? I've, I'm like you. I have trouble wrapping my mind around it, but China already has it in some format. And we know there's a huge, huge problem in the global financial system. And, they, and we also know that a lot of jobs, um, the lower income jobs, are being automated or they envision them being automated. And, um, you know, the world is kind of changing. And I think that they what government wouldn't want that level of control over people. They, of course, they would want it if they could get it. They're going to now decide how you move. They're going to know exactly how much money you have. They can freeze it if they want. They take, you know, it's just it's a pipe dream for a government. They want more control. Yeah. So I think it's out of an abundance of caution. I, gosh, I hate that phrase. I can't believe I said that. But, you you know, you just have to be realistic. And if they could get it, I can see that they would want it. I don't think they would turn it down. So do I think they would try to do it knowing the problems that they have and that they want to they don't want these super wealthy, powerful entities to take the fall for the huge amount of damage that's been done to the world by their bad policies? Do I think they would try to do something like this? I do. They could do it and they might do it. Here's a a, a really interesting bit of news coming out of the UK today. I I wrote about this on my website. Uh, Sarah Gilbert or Professor Dame Sarah Gilbert, to give her her proper title, you will know who she is, of course. She's an Oxford University professor. They, they, They gave her the credit, really, for producing the Oxford AstraZeneca jab. This is, again... Shocking, but not surprising. She said today to Sky News, this is, I mean, she said, well, you know, it took us 300 days from the time we identified COVID-19 to when the first approval was given for the jabs. But but to prevent, you know, an inevitable future pandemic, the response needs to be faster. So we'll need to get that time down to about 100 days. Three months, effectively, three months and a week, we should be able to say to people, right, we have a job, it's safe, take it. And, you know, I couldn't resist writing about it today. We know for a fact that the Oxford AstraZeneca jab, just like all of them, has caused serious health problems in people. It's killed maybe thousands of people and gravely injured maybe tens of thousands more. And rather than be in hiding these people fearing the wrath of the media and the people because they forced dangerous medicines on people. They're now talking about, hey, listen, next time, listen, Stacey, we'll be able to get a job done in 100 days. How, how do you even begin to respond to that? The jab that didn't even stop transmission. No. Had Omicron, everyone I know was, you know, tested positive, who everyone is willing to take a test, which is the, almost everyone besides me, had this common cold symptoms that they called Omicron. Everybody had it. So, and and I know people who were boosted two weeks before they got this. <laughs> they still got it. So it's just, it, I think at some point it's so mind bending to people that this person can stand there and say, 
let me create my miracle vaccine for the next pandemic even faster than I created this vaccine. Yeah. And they just can't even process, like, how, how can you be that blatant and just say such a lie to my face that I'm going to solve your next pandemic even faster than I solved this one? It's like, wait a second, you didn't even solve this one. No. And I people got hurt from your vaccine. And, and I mean, there's just so many issues with this and we don't even know where to start. So we just shut down and we're not even having the conversation. And there's also an element of ego. This has been huge throughout COVID. It's like once people buy into this, they're like, okay, I'm taking my kids out of school. I'm wearing the mask. I'm taking the vaccine. Once they've done those things, then their sort of ego is invested. They're like, well, I must have been right that I did yeah. this. So I don't want to admit that I was wrong. So I can't now attack this policy because I'm sort of bought into the policy. That's a big problem. You know, do you know this? You might do. Mattel made a Barbie doll in Sarah Gilbert's image. Wait for it. To inspire the next generation of girls to become scientists. They made a Barbie doll of this woman last year. I made great, I took the mickey out of it, you know, for days on this programme, but they did. I, when I say she should be in hiding, I am committed and I have been my entire life to non-violence. Only, you know, only where you might have to defend yourself. But, but I don't believe in going after people in a violent way. But when I say she should be in hiding, you know, they should, they, they should fear to show their faces in public because of the lies they told about their jabs and the coercion and all of that. Did you fall off of your chair if you were sitting down at the time laughing when Bill Gates said that he was a bit cheesed off because Omicron was doing a better job than the vaccines at getting rid of COVID? Did you see that clip at the time? I, I mean, saw it, but I didn't laugh. I was more trying to mortified. figure out where, where is he going with this? Like, what, what is he really saying? That was my thought. I mean, that is... He, that's right there. He admitted the scam of the entire last two years. People like you and me. Look, you're you're. Um, I mean, you've got many talents, I'm sure. But you're you're versed in the law. You're trained in the law. I'm trained in journalism and and, and English and history. But but we're reasonably clever people. We knew at the beginning of this that because it was such a mild thing for most people, uh, didn't we? Um, uh, we we knew, uh, Stacey, that. The more people who got it early on, the better it would be for everybody because, you know, natural herd immunity is a real thing. And, and here's Gates just admitting it after two and a half years or two years. Yes, God damn it, the Omicron is doing better than the jabs, which I'm a bit kind of pissed off about. And that was the point I kept making from the beginning. It's like, I want to get it and they won't even let me. They're making me do all these precautionary things. I'd rather go out, <laughs> go to the hospital, just CNN can film me. I'll go to the COVID ward. I'll sit there with all the COVID patients with no PPE on and I'll yeah. just get it and I'll recover and then I'm immune. You know, I don't need a vaccine. I'll just expose me to the virus and I'm not allowed to do that. They would never allow yeah, that. Yeah, but hang on a second. Hang on a second, Stacey Rudin, you selfish harlot. You could take it home to granny and kill granny. But I don't have anyone I know, like but it's bullshit though, but you couldn't take it home and kill granny anyway. It's just nonsense. And they no, fooled people. For two, and they're still fooling people. It's absolutely not. Stacey Rudin is our guest. It's 20 minutes to the top of the air. We've got less than 10 minutes with Stacey today. It's been a brilliant conversation. Find her on Twitter at Stacey 
underscore rude and follow her there and engage with her. Always, always interesting and fascinating. Taking the family to Texas to begin a new life because of the tyranny of COVID regulations in uh, in New Jersey and in New York City. Brave thing to do. Hope it'll be successful. No doubt that it will be. Today is International Women's Day. I'm going to throw a curveball at you to use your lexicon there in the US. Um, there was a fascinating exchange this morning between uh, a British peer, that's, um, you'll, you'll probably know this, but for our guests who don't, it's a woman who sits in the House of Lords, Baroness Jenkin. And she was speaking to Julia Hartley Brewer, who's a radio presenter and a Conservative. And they had a right old argument about, um, you know, you know, in this country, they want to make misogyny a hate crime. They want to make wolf whistling at women. Um, now, Stacey, look, I've, I'm no angel, me. I've never claimed to be, but I've never wolf whistled or cat called a woman in my life because I'm a coward. I, I might see a woman or when I was younger and think, God, she looks lovely, but I wouldn't have the courage to say anything because I'd be tongue tied. But they want to punish uh, people for doing this stuff and give them criminal records. And Julia Hartley Brewer, the conservative woman, unsurprisingly, she said, um, stop making women out to be victims. Don't be taking control of women. Um, you know, the state taking control of them by claiming they're vulnerable and, and all of that. But there are other women who say, no, violence against women is on the increase around the world, particularly in Britain, particularly in Ireland, particularly in the United States. Where are you now, a very successful woman, on that whole uh, debate? You know, are, are women being, you know, kind of trapped in this idea that they're victims of men and they need saving by the big state or the big government? What do you think of all of that? Well, that's what they want to set up, you know, the narrative, the state, right, they want to set you up as a victim, disempower you, and then say, well, let us take care of it for you with all of our rules and our regulations. And I don't think, I mean, hearing a cat call, laugh it off, you know, it's not, is it really hurting you? Only if you let it. But it must be a pain in the arse, though. You're an attractive woman. I'm sure you've had it. I mean, after a while, it must get a bit tedious, right? I, I don't think I've had it that much, but I mean, it doesn't, you know, whatever. It's walk away. It's not like I have to engage with anyone who's doing something that I don't like. Yeah, fair away. enough. And you're witty enough and clever enough to, you know, to throw a, a, a rejoinder right back at them and say something as well. But is, is that something we're seeing in recent years, not just with women, but with lots of groups or identity groups, governments tend to like these days labelling entire groups of people as vulnerable, don't they? And telling the rest of us that we have to be very careful about what we say about those groups. And and then, as you said, you know, introducing legislation, it looks like a tactic to me that. I think they've actually, too, you know, made men afraid of like being men. Quote, I mean, what men were back when there were Westerns in the 40s, you know, they, they, they're totally different now. They're, they know they're not allowed to look at a woman as a woman and, and do something like a cat call. In my life, I don't that's how I think men behave. I mean, it's very, you know, neutral, respectful, PC, you know, there's nothing really going on there. Um, and I think that that, I mean, I could make arguments that that's not good for a society. Yeah. It's unrealistic. You know, people are people. We're ultimately, you know, we're animals. We're going to reproduce. Like, let's all deny that that those impulses exist. I don't see how that helps anyone. And then they're doing all that weird stuff with gender. It's all over the place in the U.S. I'm not sure about the U.K. in the schools here. And um, I, I just think 
that again, it plays into their hand of controlling us, you know, getting our minds on something else besides, wait a second, what's actually going on here? What, you know, why is 80% of my money going to all these different taxes? Um, you know, is this bureaucracy really necessary? You know, they're putting our mind on something else and making their own functions seem more important than it is. We don't need them in telling us how to behave as men and women. We don't need that. We never did before. We don't need it now. But they're sort of framing it up like, oh, let us help you with this issue that we just created for you. It's really um, sharp, that. Really shrewd. And then, of course, you get culture wars, people screaming at one another, people putting themselves into pigeonholes or assigning themselves into, putting themselves into identity groups. You get all of that noise. And while that's going on and people are obsessing about that, and some of it is very important, as you said, it is important. But while we are obsessing about that, the agendas move on kind of silently, like massive big ships in the ocean. And they just keep moving forward. Uh, I've had guests say that to me over many years. But but I do see something very dangerous, you know, about the emasculation, if I can say that, of men. And, you know, dictating to boys that being boys and doing boy things, even if it means rolling around the playground. And, you know, I mean, when I was in primary school as a kid, I would have had silly fights with other boys that never amounted to anything, rolling around the playground and all of that. And I, I don't know, I think it's part of being, you know, a male child and, and then growing up, but they seem to want to interfere with that. And I do see that as being something very dangerous. You know, as, as a woman, I kind of, you know, I think we women like to see this masculine behavior. I mean, I think it's attractive and we see less and less of it. I think it's missing now. Yeah. I think so too. I think that's worth exploring on on, on programmes like this. Before um, we part company today, thanks for your time, by the way. I know you're crazy uh, busy. How's uh, the tennis game going at the moment, incidentally? I came straight off the court to this interview, Richie. I know you did. Thanks very much for doing that. That's why I asked. You love your tennis, right? You play regularly. I do love, I do really love the game of tennis. It's excellent for mind and body and extremely fun and demanding. And there's always something to learn. And um, even just the dynamics with the people you're competing with, it's it's, it's worth something. It's, I love it. Fantastic. I loved the um, Williams sisters biography with Will Smith recently. And I'm not saying that the virtue signal, by the way, dear listeners. I really enjoyed the film. It's very good about um, Richard Williams and his daughters. Did you see that? Very good movie, I've that. I've seen it. I've heard about it, though. I got to watch that. I'm not a big TV person, to be honest. I think that's part of why I saw COVID for what it was at the beginning. I never watch TV or movies. Do you know? I, I, I like to wind down with, with an occasional movie. And by the way, it isn't as woke, uh, the Williams biography or biopic. It is not as woke as some people are saying it isn't. It's uh, it's quite good. Listen, you're welcome back anytime, Stacey. I love shooting the breeze with you. Um, you've got a terrific um, take on, on stuff. You always challenge me. You challenge the way I think about these things and certainly our listeners. It's at Stacey, S-T-A-C-E-Y underscore Rudin, R-U-D-I-N on Twitter. Do follow uh, Stacey and say hello to her there. Uh, until next time, thanks and good luck with all the you know, the madness around the move. Um, we're all pulling for you here. Thank you, Richie. Lovely to talk to you.
Can't wait for next time. Thanks, Stacey. Uh, Stacey Rudin, live on the line from New Jersey, not far from uh, New York. Lovely to have her back on the programme, heading to Texas with her family, where no doubt she'll have a terrific uh, time of it there. The time is exactly 11 and a half minutes to the top of the air. This is Tuesday's Richie Allen Show, and it's live. It's always live on richieallen.co.uk. The episodes of The Richie Allen Show are archived at richieallen.podomatic.com Ask not what the BBG can do for you, but what you can do for the BBG. Support The Richie Allen Show now at richieallen.co.uk Yes, I've uh, been pretty busy. I'm going to get to your comments in a moment, momentarily. I've just got to do something I should have done a minute ago, but I'm useless. What should you have done, Baldy? I should have lined up a song to close out the show with, but I didn't because I'm an idiot, because I was wrapped up in what Stacey was telling me. I've just dragged out a random song. I have no idea what it is. It could be anything. It could be absolutely anything, but there you are now. All right, richieallen.co.uk, comment live, top of the page. It's how you reach me during the programme. I ain't on Twitter. You liar. No, I'm not. There's an account on there, and I use it. It's only got a few followers. I, I opened another account. Not because I want to be back on Twitter. They, they booted me last year, Twitter. But I need sometimes to reach somebody maybe through Twitter. Like, for example, today, I doubled, doubled down. I confirmed with Stacey that she was coming on the programme. But I did that through Twitter. But I'm not tweeting anything. I, I don't think the account has tweeted a single thing. It's uh, just to, to reach people. I will not play... With these people, I don't want to have anything to do with Twitter or any of that nonsense. But, yeah, uh, so the best way to comment on the programme is to use the website, Comment Live, and you can comment there and interact with others while you're doing so. Dave says, Richie, I half-jokingly said hello, nurse, to some chick a few years back, and she actually laughed, but in a kind of confused way at my antiquated comment. But she certainly found nothing offensive about it, says Dave. Patricia says, any woman who feels abused by a cat call from men is an idiot. The day will come when they wish it would happen. Ha, says Patricia. Now, I think Patricia is onto something there. However, got to be the devil's advocate. I suppose there's a time and a place element to it, isn't there? Like, if it's late of an evening and a woman is heading for a bus stop after her shift at work or to her car or to a taxi and there's a group of guys and they're making comments and maybe sexual references, that might be threatening. In, in fact, it could be, you could definitely make an argument that's threatening. So I hear Patricia loud and clear, but there's another side to it as well. Craig says misogyny is on the increase in Britain? Question mark. I would like to see that data broken down by race and ethnicity. The, the, the data to support such a statement, says Craig. Thank you, Craig. Absolutely. Wayne, who says this quite a lot on the website and doesn't realise how boring it is, because he keeps saying it, he says, I can't get COVID because it isn't real. But of course, you can't prove it isn't real, Wayne. All you can do is, is refer to people like David Icke. We, we love David and others because they don't believe it's real. But you don't know that it isn't real, Wayne. 
You just don't. You're entitled to your belief that it isn't. And, listen carefully now, you might very well be right. But you're incredibly dogmatic. And that's not a good place to be. You've got to leave some room for the possibility that you might not be right. You see, Wayne does an interesting thing. He spams the articles on the Richie Allen uh, Show website with constant uh, claims that COVID isn't real. And I kind of find it amusing, but also a little bit sad, you know, that you would be so obsessed by that. You might be right, but you might be wrong. You know, I don't believe what I had in January 2020 was the flu. It fucking wasn't the flu. I'll tell you why. I was born, um, my birth was difficult. My childhood was difficult. I have problems with my lungs. As a result, I've never smoked so much as uh, a cigarette in my life or anything like it. I have to be careful. I've had pneumonia three times. It nearly killed me twice. No exaggeration. I've had the flu. What I had in January 2020 was nothing like the flu. I wish I could repost the video because I made a video and it scared the shit out of people. Uh, The video went on the Facebook page before the Facebook page was deleted. I basically came on to say, uh, not realising what I was doing, I came on to say, listen, I'm going to be away for a week or so uh, because I'm not well. I'm really not well. And that video was terrible. It, It was dreadful. Nothing like the flu. It was something else. That is my opinion. You see, I will always say that. It's my opinion. And uh, it's my opinion that uh, COVID as a pathogen, as a respiratory infection, it's my opinion that, yes, it, it, it was real. Uh, and, and yes, it possibly did originate in, in Wuhan. And maybe it was supposed to do more damage than it did. These are all hypotheticals. I don't know. I leave a load of room for the possibility that my opinions might not be, might not turn out to be borne out by by the facts. And I would say, I'm not picking on Wayne. I might sound like I'm picking on, I like Wayne. I'm not picking on Wayne at all. I would say to people, don't be dogmatic. Don't be. Nothing good comes of it. You know, Leave some room for the possibility you might be wrong. Christ, I spend most of my time admitting, not admitting, but conceding that something I believed to be true some time ago turns out not to be true, and therefore I was wrong. You know, leave some room, I would say. Stop with the spamming, Wayne, or I'll find you and kick the bejesus out of you. Of course, I won't do that. Spam away, my friend. Diane says, in fairness, they didn't force anyone to take the jab. People made a choice. They chose to be coerced. They chose fear over research. They got it wrong. Diana, that's not entirely true and it's not entirely wrong. They coerced people. They they told people that failure to take the jab would result in loss of employment, loss of income and possibly, you know, loss of someplace to live and call home. It's a bit... That's a bit more than coercion. You might say, well, it's coercion, Richie, and that's all it is. And they, they still had a choice, and you might be right, but that's kind of how I see it. Um, loads and loads and loads and loads of comments. Thank you for them. Just about coming to the end of the programme, Beryl 
says the Canadian Parliament is uh, right now attempting to pass a universal basic income bill under cover of the distraction of what else is going on in the world. I'll have to look into that, uh, Beryl. Thanks so much for your comment. Well, that's about it for the programme today. Thanks again to Mark Collett. Lovely to have him on. Uh, the Fall of Western Man is a very interesting read. He's on Telegram. And it was great to catch up with Stacey Rudin again. She's on Twitter at Stacey with an E underscore Rudin, R-U-D-I-N. Tomorrow, we're talking prepping in the phone-in. So keep that in mind. You can phone the programme tomorrow or Skype me around about 5.30 onwards. We'll talk all things prepping. And that's what we will talk about, dear listener. All right, we won't be talking about anything else. This is my show, this is my ball, and I decide who plays. Thanks for listening. Take care of yourselves and one another. Enjoy the rest of your Tuesday. I've been the BBG. Bye.